you there? Fantastic. That's great. Um, before we uh, come to the word, let's uh, pray and bring that before the Lord. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. Again, it's because you love us. It's again because uh, you want us to learn about you uh, so we can grow in faith and uh, we can see you one day face to face. We thank you for that. So Lord, as your word is proclaimed today, may it be from you. Lord, if there's anything that I have that is from myself, Lord, I pray that you will remove it and that only your words will come through. Lord, because only what comes from you can edify and can build. And that's what we need. That which is from you may edify and may build your body, Father. You are the head. Lead, we pray now, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay, so uh, I'm going to show you something in a minute, right? Right. I'm going to show you a picture. This is a picture of myself, right? You're going to have to guess where I am, right? And uh, I know I put this up here, and... uh, I've embarrassed myself, but that's okay, right? You know, I must decrease that, he must increase, okay? So, this is me, and it's going to have a bearing to what I'm saying, right? So, for those of you who are in doubt, right, the real mischievous kind of guy that uh, is me, is this one here, that's me. Okay, so we're going back years and years and years ago, and these are my friends, you know, Paul, who's annoying his sister here, as you can see, so that's why she's looking back, and two of my friends, Norman and Robert. Okay, the reason why I'm actually mentioning this and I brought this up, because I went to a wedding two weeks ago on the 7th of July, and it was for one of my friends up here called Paul. He actually got married two weeks ago. Okay, so the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up, because that was a church that I used to go to in Southall. It was the Assemblies of God, Pentecostal church in Southall, and what it was, it was literally a tin hut, and I'm not exaggerating, right? it was on Hortus Road, you can still go there today, and it's a tin hut, and it was made out of, you know, it's corrugated kind of steel, and it had a corrugated steel roof on it, that was the church that I went to, and I went there for, for years and years and years, and uh, there wasn't that many more people than what you see there, right? That's kind of like almost the whole church that was there. Uh, just a few more people. And uh, the reason why I'm bringing it up there, and because I went to the wedding, and I hadn't, haven't seen my friend Paul for 23 years. And I got invited to his wedding. The other, the other Robert, I, I, mean, I keep in contact with, but Norman I haven't seen for 23, 24 years. And the reason why I bring that up now is because every single one of them is walking with the Lord. And I'm talking about walking strong with the Lord. That's why I decided to embarrass myself, just to show you. So I haven't seen him for 23 years, 23, 24 years. And yet they're all walking strong with the Lord. Every single one of them here. You know, these, and, I, and I also attribute, to, attribute it to these lovely old ladies here. Okay? And I guarantee you they were the ones praying for us when we were younger in the church being mischievous and getting up to all sorts, you know. This lovely lady here used to play the organ and, uh, you know, we used to turn her organ down, you know, while she was playing because we used to also play in the church. But those were the ladies that were praying for us continually, frequently in the background and yet we all are walking strong with the Lord. And I'm bringing that up because 
See, my parents never went to church until much, much later. I'm talking about a lot, lot later. My parents never went to church. They couldn't read or write properly. Um, well, my dad could speak English, but my mum going to happen. Paul's mum was a Christian, and so was Norman's mum. They were a Christian. So, we're, but the church also has a responsibility and accountability to train up the children. See, these lovely old ladies there, you know, they were the Sunday school teachers. That's who we got taught by. And they were the ones who tribes who still come to church. That's why we train them up, because I was one of those children who were trained up, never did any of that. That's not to say that they were perfect angels, right? Because believe you me, they weren't, right? They, they, the fact that 25 years later, 23, 24 years later, when I'm still seeing them, they're still walking strong with the Lord, serving him with a great zeal and with a great passion. So when we hear that, all that noise and the kids all running out there, believe you me, when scripture says train up a child in the way he should go, when he's older, he won't depart, I can say from my life and all my friends' life that that's exactly the case. So it's amazing when we're teaching children out there, and I know that a lot of you also pray for the young children here. I know you do that continually and frequently, just like these old ladies did that for me. And let's keep on doing that, because the day and age that we live in, they, they need some serious prayer. So, and also, as, as you can see, okay, I had a perm, right? <laughs> Back in the days, I had, I had a perm, and, uh, you know, God dealt with the external vanities that, that, that I had there. Still some internal vanities that I've been dealt with, but those external vanities, that went in my... 30s, so that was it, it was gone, okay? Um, so praise the Lord for that, huh? And just, just, just to reflect and think, you know, I didn't go to a church, this church had nothing. In terms of, the PA equipment was, it wasn't even a PA equipment, most of the time it wouldn't work. The mics used to hardly ever work. Uh, there was a, a beaten up old organ in the corner that was probably there for years, and you know, a harmonica that hardly ever worked at time. That's the kind of church I went to. But what was the main focus was the word of the Lord in that church. And this was our pastor here. He used to really teach us the word from a young age. And everyone in the church, that's where the focus was, was the word and putting the Lord first and giving him glory. There was no velvet curtains, right? And the reason why I say velvet curtains, because the church I used to go to quite some time back, you know, they used to meet up and meet in a big, massive theatre, they had the biggest sound desk you could ever imagine. Uh, they had all the flashing lights. They had everything that you could imagine. But it, di it didn't have the word. And if you don't have the word, you haven't actually got anything. Forget the velvet curtains. Forget the biggest sound desks. Forget the lights, whatever. They're not needed. That's what you need is the word. Amen? And that's what this church had. <laughs> and it's a testimony to the Lord as a result of having the word that none of these people have fallen away. None of them actually ever fall away. And I met um, Paul's mum, Patsy. Okay? She backslid just for a short while. And when I met her at the wedding, she said to me, Joseph, isn't it beautiful how God restores the backslider? And I said, yes, how beautiful is that? That God always leaves the 99 goes to look for that one, to restore that one. And that is exactly what happened. She was almost like crying because she backslid for a while and then she said, God restored me. And uh, that was a beautiful testimony. Again, okay. So now that I've uh, embarrassed myself and uh, I showed you my jerry curls and uh, my awful, awful, the things we did when we were young. I don't know why you're laughing. You know, if I saw some of your pictures when you were young, they're probably, 
you know, pretty similar to that, in a way. Okay? So, what, I, what the message, title of the message really is, Iron Sharpens Iron. Iron Sharpens Iron. That's the title of the message. So, what I would like for us to turn to is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. See, the thing is that you cannot just build yourself by yourself. You will only ever get so far in doing that. See, we need each other, and we'll look at this later on, that we need each other, especially in this day and age, in order to actually sharpen us, in order to make us stronger, in order to make us fit for purpose, for when actually the Lord actually comes. Iron sharpens iron. So I was looking at this. You know, I've sharpened knives at home a few times, but if you really want to sharpen something, you know, I was looking at a grinding wheel, and a grinding wheel actually has iron filings on it. And what they do when they sharpen the knife is that they put a bit of oil on it, on the, on the wheel. And the reason why they actually put oil on the wheel is that when it's actually spinning and the blade actually touches the iron filings, is that so that the blade doesn't actually overheat, because there's a tremendous amount of heat that is generated. And also, so then the blade doesn't actually get damaged. So there's a bit of oil that is put on there just to make sure that the blade doesn't get damaged. And also to deal with the heat and to deal with the friction. See? What happens is, is that in order for us to be sharpen each other, there is going to be a level of friction that is actually going to be taking place in order for that to occur. Um, before we look at that, um, before we look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19, I want to have us to look at this. Proverbs 27, 19, As water face answereth to face, so the heart of man to another man. See, you have never, ever seen your face, right? Bear with me, right? You might, just bear with me one moment. You've seen a reflection of your face, okay? You've seen a reflection of your face in a mirror. You've just seen a reflection of your face when you go and look, into, when you go and look in the mirror. And uh, generally, the style, like the, one I, like the one I had, you know, we generally tend to see ourselves in a, in a right? So I'm actually really looking at your faces. I'm actually really, I can sometimes see something about you that the Lord may reveal or something that may be so blatantly obvious that I am. You know, two people sometimes find it really difficult to get on all the time. So we're here to recognize and to see that. Now, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of another. I was saying, I was speaking to somebody in the church just a short while ago that they just had it, they just entered into a new job and they're surrounded by very intelligent people, very clever people, very clever people, because I know, because I know the type of role that they do. And uh, I kind of lead kind of those sort of people. And I said, and they said, there's a huge amount to learn. I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a massive amount to learn. But for you to, I said, one of the, have you prayed and asked the Lord to give you a mentor where you are? 
so that you can learn things very quickly and you can learn things in a speedy manner and to become really efficient at what you do. And uh, I encourage them to do that. Why? Because everywhere, every job role that I went to, the first thing, believe you me, I was not the cleverest person amongst any of my peers in, in my workplace. But one thing that I used to do when I used to get there, the first thing I used to do, I say, Lord, you know, bring me, bring somebody across my path who could actually train me and help me and mentor me to become really good at my role that I used to do. And every time, every time without fail, like the Lord would send somebody brilliant, <laughs> I'm talking about really brilliant, across my path, and they would train me and they would teach me to become really good at my role in what I would do. And so much so was that they had been in the company, some of these people had been in the company at a very high position for, for years, and they taught me how to get things done very efficiently, very effectively, that just produced good results. Why? Because I prayed for that, and I asked for somebody to mentor me, to show me how I could become much better um, at what I did. Um, and, I, and I encourage you, if you're in that role as well, to do exactly the same. So somebody can sharpen you and actually to make you better um, as a person in terms of what you're doing in a job role. Paul likes to, Paul really likes to, talks about athletes, okay? And he talks about running a race, and he uses the analogy of an athlete training really well. So obviously he took from the athletes from his day and age. I'm going to take from the athletes from my day and age, and I'll refer back to my friends again. We used to go weight training, and the way you, we would, the way you would build up each other is that we would support, we would help, and we would edify each other in this sense. Has anybody else here done bench press? Come on, some guys must have done bench press, right? Okay, right, okay. Right, so you that have done bench press. So, we, so again, us, us here and a few others used to do bench press, okay? And what used to happen was that you know when you're doing bench press and you get so far that your triceps lock out, if you haven't got somebody behind you to support you and to lift that thing up for you, that's going to come down in one place. It's going to come down on your chest. And that's it. But if you've got support and you've got to help, usually they only have to give a little bit of help, a tiny little bit of help, okay, if you've ever done training, just a small amount in order for you to lift up. And then as they start doing that, you become stronger and you lift up heavier and heavier and heavier. And what, that's what used to happen with us. I mean, I haven't trained for a long time, but we got to the point where we used to lift 450 pounds. Okay, we used to do that in bench press. And the way we used to do that was that we would support and we would help each other. And there was a great encouragement and enthusiasm that we would have for each other to see us actually built up to be able to achieve that. And, but it was also with non-Christians. It was there, And I was amazed that all these non-Christians all get together in order to see you achieve and to do great and to be able to achieve this target and this goal. And, and the weight is extremely heavy. But as you get stronger you're able to lift up more and more and more. Because why? You've had support and you've had help to actually do that. So uh, while we have a look at that, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 
1 Samuel, chapter 13, verse 19. Okay, just to give a bit of background into this chapter, actually. Samuel asked Saul to meet him in Gilgal and wait for him there for seven days. Okay, but what Saul did was he went and he waited but he, he got impatient, and what he actually ended up doing was he ended up performing the burnt sacrifice himself, which should have been reserved for the priests alone to actually do. He should have waited, and he never did. And as a result, God said to him, now the kingdom will not be established by you, by, by Saul. Now, the thing I'd like to bring out here is that when God says what he means, and he means what he says always, Okay, that's exactly what happened. The same thing, you could have a look at the, there's another sim, very similar account in Uzziah, chap, don't, you don't have to turn to it, in Second Chronicles 26, 19, where Uzziah did exactly the same thing. And then what happened was God struck him with leprosy. He did exactly the same thing. See, God has an order. And what he means, he says, and what he says, he means. So if that is the case in the Old Testament, it's exactly the same in the New Testament as well. So when God talks about the wise virgins and the foolish virgins, and that only the wise virgins are going to make it through because they've got oil in their lamps and they're waiting for the Lord, that's exactly what's going to happen. There's a principle here that God always means what he says, okay, and says what he means. Though covenants may change and they have changed, he means what he says and he says what he means, okay? The area I'd like to focus on here is verse 19, and it says, Now there was no smithy found throughout the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Least the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines, but all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his matlock. Yet they had a file for the matlocks and for the coulters, and for the forks, and for the axes, and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of the people that were with Saul and with Jonathan. But with Saul and Jonathan, his son, there were found. So in the whole of the land, the only two individuals who had a sword was Saul and Jonathan. All the others... They had no swords. They had no instruments, okay, for battle. In fact, it was the Philistines who had the monopoly on the iron ore. It was the Philistines who had control in terms of advanced weaponry over the Israelites in terms of iron. And the Israelites had to go to the Philistines in order to get their tools sharpened. And guess what happened? What did the Philistines say? Right, okay, for us to sharpen, we're going to charge you so much, right? And that's what happens then. If we do not sharpen each other, guess, who's gonna, guess who we're going to end up being sharpened by? Our culture. And if you look at our culture, if we don't sharpen each other up and we don't do it continually and frequently, our culture, the modern-day viewpoint, will sharpen you. Just like the Israelites had to go to the Philistines in order to get their tools sharpened. We're not called to go outside in the world in order to get ourselves sharpened. We're here to sharpen each other. That's what we need to do. Because most 
a lot of Christians I know do go outside of their world, outside of the church, outside of a Christian circle in order to get themselves sharpened. This is what's actually taking place here, is that the Israelites are going outside to get themselves sharpened. We need to start being committed to actually sharpening ourselves, especially as the day of the Lord actually approaches. It, it's interesting, there's, there's a contrast. In, in the time of Saul, there was, there, none of the Israelites had any instruments that could be sharpened. In fact, the only ones who had swords were Jonathan and, uh, and was Saul. But yet, if you have a look in 1 Chronicles 22.3, it was in, t- in the time of David. First Chronicles 22.3. And remember, it's t- we read in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that God was looking for a man who, after his own heart, and you have a look, when he found that man after his own son, it says in, in 1 Chronicles 22, 3, and David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors, for the gates, and for the joining, and the brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance, and the Zidionans, and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. In the time of David, we've got a complete contrast, there was an abundance of iron ore. Where did David get majority of that iron ore from? Exactly. He would have got it from the Philistines. See, he would have got it from the Philistines. A man after God's own heart was now put in a position to then take all the advanced military weapons, um, to take all the swords, to take all their weaponry, and then he was able to have enough iron ore in order to prepare and to start building for the house of the Lord. See, this is what we need to be. We need to be like David, who seek the Lord. A man, we need to be like him to seek the Lord with our whole heart, so that we have, in a sense, enough iron ore so we can actually sharpen each other and actually start building each other up. Let's quickly bring something out. In, in, first Sam, in, in, in Second Chronicles, as we read, okay, it talks about, um, so, it talks about Solomon, how... Uh, David couldn't build the temple because there was much blood on his hands and he had spilt much blood upon the earth. But he called upon Solomon who would actually end up building the house of the Lord. But Solomon prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, give me wisdom. And God said to him, because you, have, because you haven't asked me for the death of your enemies, I will give you peace throughout the whole land. And we're going to have a look at this in a minute. But before we do that, Ecclesiastes 10.10 10 says, If the iron be blunt... If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he be put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Okay. Just before I do so, I just want to mention something personally within the church. Somebody who has personally sharpened me, especially when it comes to service, okay, is Brian. And I want to mention this because I've been with. I love spending time with Brian because Brian really teaches me how to serve. Because he does so much in the background. I'm talking about so much in the background. Um, this is working today because of Brian. Right? 
Last time when the screens weren't working, Brian was here on Thursday till really late at night, and we were working it out together, but worked out the issue, but Brian stayed a little bit later to get things done. And guess what I did? When I went home, I'm like, wow. Lord, teach me to serve that way. And I got sharpened every time I spend time with him. He doesn't realize that. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know what the Lord is doing in my life when I go home. Then I get to meditate and I go to reflect and see what's taking place. How Brian has actually sharpened me to become more in serving the Lord because he's taught me how to serve. And I actually love spending time with him because I know that the more I spend time with him, he's going to sharpen me to want to serve more and more and more. That's why I know if I am going to spend time with him, that I'm going to come out being a better servant because I've learned it from him and he's sharpened me to be able to do that. Again, that's what I'm saying is that we need to look for people within our church who would be able to sharpen us. Just like I said that when I was, when I went into my job role, I used to look for somebody, well not look for, I prayed for somebody and the Lord brought somebody along. We need to find somebody who would help and sharpen us and to help us to become more to sharpen our countenance so we become more Christ-like, so we can be used more in this day and age. We need to find that. And when I look at this church, I see some great people. I see some great people who are very, some, some of you are really mature, strong in the Lord, and you've got so much to give to others, so much to give. And, you know, in one sense, I, you know, I hoped when I, when I wished when I was younger that there was somebody who could have come aside me and uh, helped me to tilt me it will teach me and to help me grow a lot more quicker than I could have, or removed error that was coming into my life. As an example, um, I, say, I said to you a short while ago that, you know, me and my wife, we was going to Asda, and before we got there, we were praying, Lord, send us someone that we could speak to who went to our previous church, because we know that the church is in a lot of error, that we, can, we, we could meet to them and we can tell them about what era that they're in, and we could just pray with them. Went to Asda, bought all our food, got to the cash till, and I was just about to leave, but Yolanda, with her eagle eyes, noticed that one of the fruits was a bit off. So she said, okay, we'll, we'll go away and change it. So she goes away and change it, and as she goes to change it, she bumps into somebody called Ori, who's a friend of mine. And Ori, Yolanda obviously disgusted them and said, Ori, you know, what are you still doing there? Because you know they're teaching this, 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 this. And then... I went to go and have a look for her, and I had a real good, long, lengthy discussion with Ori about what was actually taking place in that church. And the reason why I mention that is that every, every now and then I always look to see what the church is actually up to. So if I meet anybody else from the church, because being brought out of that, now I've got even a passion and a desire to show to, to discuss with people from that church. And, I, and so I listened to one of the sermons just a short while ago, and they was talking about ecumenism. Okay, but in a... In, in quite a detailed way. So they were talking about how the early church desert, how the desert fathers, right, um, well, he was saying, the pastor of the church, about how the early desert fathers, the reason why they left, because they were the real true believers, and the reason why they secluded themselves was because they really wanted to spend their time with the They really wanted to spend their time with the Lord. And we need to achieve a balance, okay, that we need to achieve this balance, you know, they can give us contemplation. We can give them charis the charismatic gifts. And, you know, it, it, it was bizarre. And um, the analogies were absolutely bizarre. And I'm going to say this because, so you reference it to, you know, they're all in a life, they're all in a boat. And the boat's about to sink. And they've all got their buckets. And, you know, they're all working together to 
take the water out the boat so it doesn't sink and that's all working together and then he referenced it to you know we're here for peace and what shocked me this is what shocked me was that you know and we all, and a lot of us know that how bad contemplative prayer is and all coming from the you know early desert church, the early desert fathers and how they got involved in mysticism and how mysticism all got into the church and we know that so what happened was that they had a principle so i listened to this whole sermon and they had a prince he, 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 he lifted up a principle and i've got it and I'll, if anybody wants to see it, i'll show you it later and the principle said one of the church's principles that we will not engage in any theological controversy or discourse with others. We will pursue peace at all costs, right? So what that's actually saying, so what that's actually saying is that don't engage in any theological discussion about what you're being taught. That's essentially what he's actually saying. In any theological discussion um, that's, that's being discussed, don't engage in it. Right, because you know they might show you where where you're wrong. That's what the that's currently what's being taught there at the moment is don't engage in any theological discussion. That we've all got something valuable to bring and something valuable to offer, and in fact that's what brings the correct balance to our Christianity. So then he was saying, yeah, you know the Eastern Orthodox they got something to bring. You know Roman Catholicism has got something to bring. The church fathers have got something to bring. We've got something to bring. And in bringing all this together, we create this correct balance that we can't live one without the other. And it's funny thing, you know, the classical thing he did, he read from John chapter 17, but uh, he didn't pay an emphasis to spirit and truth. You know, yes, we should have unity, but it should be in truth. There was no emphasis paid to that, but an encouragement to not engage in any theological discourse which is saying believe what I believe what I tell you believe what I tell you but don't get anybody else to challenge it and and that's and that's and I and I did say this to Ori I did say this to Ori I said I said see Ori's family's already and I'm saying this his family his, his wife doesn't go to church because she already recognizes what's taking place in the church. He goes with his family currently at the moment. And I do pray for him continually. And I've asked people at the church to pray for him continually. Okay, but they're not asked to engage in any form of discourse or any form of theological discussion. Why? Because it will bring them to the place where they will have to start thinking. And as a result of you starting to think, it means that you're going to question. Um, and once you start questioning, it will start leading you to a truth and it will set you free. And I'm just going to say a few things there because I just feel that I just need to perhaps say this. Some of you know this already, um, and this is where you need iron sharpens iron for this reason, because in this day and age, there's a huge amount of deception taking place, and this is why we need good brothers and sisters around us to say, you know what, this isn't right, that isn't right, and you need to be sharpened by them theologically. You need to be sharpened and honed in order for that to take place. So somebody asked me why did, you know, what happened to the last church, and I said, I asked, why, did, why do we pray? Why do we worship in the dark? Okay, so some, they said, why do you worship in the dark? And I asked, I asked the pastor that there, and he said, the reason why we have it all dark is because we want to emulate the holies of holies, right? The most holy place. So I said, okay, right, really? You want to emulate 
the most holy place. Well, in that case, then, you need to have it pitch black, right? Because I said to him, you do understand, right, that it was absolutely pitch black there. And so what you're saying is that you want it absolutely pitch black and you want us to come church once a year because you do realise that it was also only the high priest who went in there once a year. So you want us to go there once a year? I said, I said, you know, don't take a little snippet, right? You know, if you're going to do it, go all the way. Don't just, you know, take what you need for yourself for your own benefit. And then, so I think he realised it was a bit, well, he, be- he really believed it, though, even though, you know, you show how silly it actually is. Um, then, I, then he said, oh, then, then he realised that was a little bit silly, right? And he, then, then he said, oh, yeah, but also, you know, because, you know, in the 17th century, you know, we want it to be nice and just a little bit of light because they had candles, you know, in the 17th century, 18th century. And I said, I said, you do realise, right? So I said again, you do realise that the reason why they had candles is because there was no electricity. I said, you do realise that. So I go, what are you saying? I go, and it was getting bizarre. But these are the, some of the things that it was getting so bizarre. So the, it should be pitch black, but no, we don't want it pitch black. So we, we want to emulate what happens. So we want a little bit of light, like candles. And it was getting bizarre. And then then he said, I said, what's with the, the smoke machine, right? So I, said, so I said, what's with the smoke machine? And he said, the reason why we have the smoke machine there is because we want to emulate the Shekinah. I said, I said, so this is, and I, now this is a real serious discussion, right? It's not, a, this is actually what's done. So I go, is that what you want to emulate? I go, you do realize, right, that the Shekinah's gone, right? You know, in the Old Testament, the, the smoke is all gone. And he was like, a bit confused, and, and it got bizarre. Then I said, all right, let's move away from that one, right? Then we went on to, why do you have all these coloured lights in the church? All these flashing lights and everything else. And I'm just asking very simple questions, right? Really simple questions. And it was to do with the fact that he wanted to emulate, you know, the throne room of God in heaven because it's got all these lights around it, and, and it, was, it was just getting really bizarre. And the reason why I'm saying this is because this is where... We're coming because people are not questioning and, and they're not actually asking some very, very simple, simple questions. And I could have asked loads and loads and loads, but the responses I was getting was really, really bizarre. It was getting extremely uh, bizarre. And this is the reality of what's actually taking place. Um, and these are the kind of responses that you're getting back. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned that because it's something that we've got to have a clear understanding of because if you're going to bump into people like this and these are currently what a lot of churches are currently experiencing and currently what they're going because they're not going to the word um, and, 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 and they're not just spending time before the Lord and again it's because they're, they're, it's, again it's because they're, they're told not to and there's some other principles that uh, they've got there which I, I won't mention that, but if you want we can talk about them afterwards or later um, see, this is a good one, right? In terms of sharpening each other. Proverbs 27.5. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Now, this isn't practiced that often, okay? And, 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 and it should be. If you see your brother doing something wrong, okay, or walking in a, in a, in a direction that he shouldn't be, th- there should be a rebuking love towards him. Okay, because it's better than just secret love, than you just being quiet about it. Okay, we're called to actually, we're called to actually to do this. 
Okay? It says, because, Proverbs 9, 8, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he, and, and he will love thee. See? If you're open to rebuke, one thing it shows straight away is that you're really humble. Okay? There's, there's a level of humility there because you're accepting the rebuke. Because you've accepted the rebuke, it shows that you're actually wise. Okay? We can keep going back to the wise virgins with this on all the time. You know? We can keep going back to them. You know, Proverbs is going to point you in that direction. Every time you see wise, it will take you back to the wise virgins all the time. And when you see the fool, it will take you to the foolish virgins all the time. Okay, reprove not a scorn, at least you hate the rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Now, if you received a rebuke, would you love that individual? Okay, if, you, if you're wise, you actually would. And this is something that we're going to, we should bring before the Lord and ask him to help us to become wiser and to accept rebukes. Okay, again, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Though we get rebuked and though we get rebuked and it will be good for us, do we consider it good? And I just want to quickly bring out something here. It's something that uh, I, Chuck Misler passed away just a short while ago, actually, a, a real dear brother. And one thing I remember he used to say he goes, if you don't understand certain parts of Scripture, put Jesus Christ there, and things will start becoming clear because everything points to him. You know, Jesus Christ, lo, lo, I come, and the volume of the book it is written of me. So everything points to Jesus Christ. When you look at this verse here in itself as well, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We, were just, we just participated in communion. The most faithful friend you'll ever get is Jesus Christ because he was wounded for our transgressions, but yet he was betrayed with a kiss. It all points back to Jesus Christ. Everything. Right. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Do you remember I said this is all pointing back to, in a sense, to the wise virgins and the foolish virgins? That's why you've got to be very specific who you actually spend your time with or engage your time with. If you're going to spend time with wise men, believe you me you are going to become wiser. If you spend time with people who are theologically sound, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to start becoming even more theologically sound. By the way, if you start spending in the opposite direction, you start spending time with fools, okay, guess what's going to happen? You're going to end up becoming more and more Foolish. That's why you've got to be so very specific and direct who you actually spend time with. You spend time with wise men, you're going to become wiser. And it's interesting that, you know, Matthew 25, where you've got the wise virgins, they're there collectively together. They're there together. But they individually have their own oils. They individually have their own lamps. And they've individually got their, their own oil. Really, it's the power association to, to shape character. See, I could go in the other direction right here now, and I could throw up John Maxwell's, right? You could throw John Maxwell's seven laws of highly effective people or successful people, but we don't need to do that. That's what's happening in a lot of churches at the moment. You know, you've got real motivational, motivational sermons that are taking place, okay, where they put up John Maxwell's seven principles or Stephen Covey's principles, when really all you have to really do is to go back to the book 
of problems, really. And God will show you exactly how to live and how to be successful. Not successful in a materialistic sense, but successful in walking the life that he's called you to walk and live. Another crucial thing. See, if thou be wise, thou will be wise for thyself. See, if you become wise, you're going to become wise for yourself. Again, if you go back to the wise and foolish version, they're there collectively together as a group, okay? But they're wise individually for themselves. See, when the Lord calls them, you know, they're not going to be called up as a group. He calls you through a turnstile, right? That's what the Lord does. He calls you through a turnstile. He's going to say, Joseph, and then you can't, Somebody can't walk behind me, right, and sort of get through, you know, like a turnstile. It's not going to happen. You're, if you become wise, you become wise for yourself. That's, that's personal accountability. Again, study and show thyself approved unto God as a workman who need not feel ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to be accountable for yourself. You become wise. You become wise for yourself. When you become wise, then you can start sh- helping to sharpen somebody else as well. And that wise person will become wiser and they will love your company. Again, it says, you know, but if thou scornest, thou alone shall bear it. Right, this is um, another one from Proverbs. See, you don't really have to go, you don't even have to go out of the book of Proverbs, right, if you really want to learn how to live right and what the Lord requires from you. 2427, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thy house. So I'm going to use an example here and this goes out particularly to younger men. Okay, so I hope you're listening. Okay, prepare thy work, make fit thyself in the field. Example, you're going to get married at one point or another. Okay, unless the, court law will, unless the Lord calls you to be single. You knowing that you're going to get married, there's certain things that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to look after a wife, right? Financially, right? Which means you better start preparing your work and make it fit in, fit in the field. Get yourself a job. Get yourself secured in a job, okay? So you can get yourself married. Okay, so you need to do that. Get yourself an accommodation and start preparing for that as well and then start building your house. This is what it's called about, you know, a wise person, prepare thy work first. If you're considering marriage and you know that the Lord's taking you in that direction, then you better start preparing yourself for it. You better start making sure you get yourself a good job because after that comes children. Right Again, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself and then afterwards build thy house. That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to... Stanley's right there right now in you. Right, you know? You know, you've got your first child coming along and you're going to have to prepare yourself for that. So a wise person would prepare thy work and, and make it fit for the purpose. See, the other thing as well is that, and I was saying to... I was saying to, I think, Jerome just a little while ago, that there's two places that brings about, or is the crucible for change. One is, when I mean change, I mean sanctification, right? That takes you through the process of sanctification. One is marriage, and the other is children, right? There's nothing that removes selfishness away from you quickly than marriage. 
You soon realize, once you get married, that you, you, know, you better compromise. Very, what I mean by compromise, you better learn to remove your selfishness or yourself very quickly. Or things are not going to be very good, right? It, that's just the way it is. You know, you're going to have to humble yourself and start... Re- and that's why God takes you through that process getting married because, boy, is that going to remove selfishness away from you quickly. And it will show you how proud and how selfish you actually are. Then you think, oh, that's great. Man, I, I'm, I am super sanctified. Now, then children come along, right? And then they start removing layers of you. I'm talking about layers of selfishness that, see... That exist in you because you can do things together with your spouse that you really like and you know, all sorts of things. But when children come along, that removes another layer of selfishness away from you like nothing. It shows you how selfish you actually are. And they stay with you for a long time, which means that you're going through that process for a long time. It's one of the ways the Lord deals with us and brings us to a point where we uh, get selfish, selfishness removed from us and it takes us through a quick process of sanctification or a quicker process of sanctification. Um, this is one thing I'd just like to emphasize and bring out. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermed- intermeddleth with all wisdom. The reason why you need to be sharpened continually, and we need to do that with each other, because if that doesn't take place, there can be occurrences where you just separate yourself completely. And it's a real danger when you get separated from each other and you're not being built up. Now, one of the things that the enemy does, and I was talking to Guy a while ago about this, well, Guy was telling me, Guy loves watching wildlife discovery channels about animals and because there's nothing really much that can go wrong in there, right? You're not going to have much foul language. You're not going to have any surprised images. or so It's pretty clean, right? So he likes watching those. But one thing you, you see with those programs, especially within the safari, is that, especially when you see like, some of the wild animals, what they tend to do is to get the flock and get one separated. When one of those is separated, it's out for the kill, just like what the enemy will try to do. It's if he can separate you, okay, you are so vulnerable and exposed okay, to, to defeat. And I mean defeat walking away from the Lord completely. That's why you cannot, and we're going we're gonna to end up, we're going to end up on this, you cannot neglect the fellowshipping and the assembly of us together. And I, and I can't emphasize that enough because I have known individuals who have separated themselves from the church, who have separated themselves from believers, and as a result, they've completely ended up being isolated. And because they ended up being isolated, the enemy's taken them completely Completely. So you can't allow yourself to be isolated or separated because it's only going to result in one thing. See, one thing you've got to realize is that you're not strong enough to survive on your own. And I need to preface that unless the Lord gives you the grace because you may end up on your own um, in persecution somewhere or in a prison or whatever. Somewhere that may happen. Okay, and the Lord will give you grace in order to be able to, to handle that. But generally, we're not called and we can't survive on our own. We're here to be, to support and to build each other up. And if you see somebody beginning to be isolated, we better very quickly identify that and reach out to those individuals and start supporting them because if we don't, it's only going to 
they're, they're open bait. They're, they're just open for, for the enemy to completely to steal, kill, and destroy their lives. Okay. Um, okay, let us consider Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love. Okay. Um, right, so they are... So there are no fewer than 11 Greek words in the New Testament which are rendered in the English term consider. See, I did Greek um, when I studied theology and philosophy, um, but I didn't continue it on. Um, But there's 11. Okay, let us consider. Let us, what it means is let us diligently bear in mind and continually have, the Greek word here, it means this. Let us diligently bear in mind and continually have in view the good of our fellow pilgrims. That's how we are supposed to consider one another, so we provoke each other to love and to good works. It's the same Greek word that's used in Hebrews 3.1, where it says, Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. That's how we are to consider each other, continually having them in our view so that we can provoke them to actually do good works. See, Romans 14.7, it says, no one lives unto themselves. Christ hasn't called us to live unto ourselves. We're here to also live for each other. Okay, we're here to live for each other. We're here to build each other up, especially as we see the evil day approaching. Uh, Romans 14 saying, For none of us liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself either. Um, I'd like to finish up on this actually. Hebrews 10.25 Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the evil day approaching. Okay, so the Greek word here for forsake not is a very strong and empathetic one, being a double compound. It signifies to abandon in time of danger. Okay, it was also the word forsake that the Lord used on the cross himself as well. You know, forsake me not. It is the word employed by Paul in 2 Timothy 4.10, which Demoth says, Demoth has forsaken me. Paul said he's forsaken me. He's abandoned me in time of danger. I cannot forsaken the assembling of each other. So don't abandon each other in times of trouble because trouble is here, whether you like it or not now. If you just have a look at the cultural change, and we don't need to go into all of that now, but if you just have a look at the cultural change and you see what's taking place, don't abandon each other in time of trouble, because that's what's taking place now. We need to make sure that we assemble together. Okay, let us, Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, and this is again, Hebrews 13, 11, he will not forsake you or leave you. Christ is saying there that he won't forsake you or leave you in times of trouble. Assembling ourselves together as the manner of some. As the manner of some means that there were some that were assembling together, but they departed 
um, and, and the manner there in the Greek is also the word custom. They went back to their original customs as well. But instead, exhort one another so much more as ye see the day approaching. It means take caution. Take caution. Okay, not to abandon each other in time of danger. I have to admit out there, theologically, it, it, it's, it's dangerous. If you're not in your word and you haven't got people around you who are going to sharpen you in the word and, and challenge you to read the word. I mean, I, I'm going to... I was talking to John just a short while ago and, you know, John talks a lot about Watchman E and stuff like that. So he was saying that some of them... Um, some Christians came up to Watchman E and they said to Watchman E, could you teach us the book of Revelation? He said, sure, but first I'd like you to read it a hundred times before I start teaching you it. And I was like, whoa, that's harsh in one sense, but that's iron sharpening iron, right? That's you becoming wise for yourself. If you read it a hundred times, guess what's going to happen? You become wise for yourself. When you become wise for yourself, you'll end up building and sharpening others. So we've got to make sure we don't neglect the assembling together of each other. We've got to make sure that we continually keep building each other up in, our, in the faith because it's crucially important that we actually start doing that, especially as you see the day approaching. And... Uh, Let's not go into culture, right? Because we, we could talk about that afterwards and all the crazy things that are currently happening at the moment. And it will get, it's only going to get even worse. Um, and as we're aware, that culture will get to a point where it becomes so bad that you're going to have to put down your tools and you're just going to have to wait, just like the wise virgins. You're just going to have to wait, but you're going to have to be a wise virgin. Now, and you know, just repeat what Jacob brushes, now is the time to get oil in your lamp because soon it's going to be too late. So let's start sharpening each other up and really being committed to that. Amen? I'm um, just going to pray, because, you know, there's, straight after this, there are opportunities to start sharpening each other up, edifying and building each other up, rebuking each other <laughs> in love, but uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you've called us actually for each other. You've called us to build each other. None of us, in a sense, are an island unto ourselves, but we're called to be committed, uh, but passionately committed to each other for the edification and for the building of each other. So, Father, we pray that indeed that you will increase that desire um, for each other, to build and to sharpen and to edify each other because the day is approaching and times are getting worse and uh, we need to be strengthened, we need to be built up. So let us really take those words to heart that we assemble, we, that we assemble with each other and we build, we build, we build for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.